Hello, 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 and welcome to my podcast, That Show Fucked Me Up. It is I, the beautiful, the talented, the funny, your host, Mariel Vizcarra. Cue in the applause. What is up, Fucked Up fam? It's your girl. You already know the drill. But if you don't, here it goes. That Show Fucked Me Up is a podcast where I talk about TV shows that fuck me up. <laughs> Pretty direct and straight to the point with the title of my podcast. Uh, this season, it's season 10. I'm covering Sharp Objects. Actually, this is the wrap-up episode for Sharp Objects, the last episode of season 10. It's It came and went so quick. It was a journey. It was an adventure, as it always fucking is. But you know what? I'm going to make this intro really short. I always say that and it ends up being like 20 minutes, but I I hope it's short because we've got a long episode ahead of us. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to fucking talk about. Did sharp objects fuck me up? Yes, or else I wouldn't have covered it in my podcast. Am I emotionally damaged for the rest of my life after the second watch? Because I watched it first like a couple years ago and then, well, I mean, I had to rewatch it for the podcast. Yes. I am damaged goods after watching Sharp Objects. I need to read the book now. Like, I need to. They tell me that, you know, the portrayal of Sharp Objects in the show is really good and it's it sticks really well to the book. But now I need to, I need to, like, del- delve, de- dive? I don't know. I don't think delve is a word. <laughs> I need to dive into, like, the characters more. And I know, like, the book can provide all of that information for me. But before we get to that, uh, personal update. So really exciting. Uh, If you haven't already, I was a guest host in the Truth Lies Shenanigans podcast. Uh, So this podcast is also part of Pods Network, the network that I'm from. Shout out to Pods Network. That is P-O-D-Z as in Sue Network. Um, and they reached out to me and they were like, hey, are you interested in being a guest host, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, absolutely. Yes. Tell me why I had such a great fucking time, Fucked Up Fam. It was so good. Um, I met with the other host just like 30 minutes before. We talked, we prepped, kind of gave me like the rundown of how it was going to be. The night before, they had added me to their Facebook group where they talked about the subjects that we were going to be talking about. Because I think they, they mostly talk about pop culture stuff uh, and they eat each of the go- the ghosts. <laughs> each of the hosts choose a topic that they are interested by that's currently happening. And then they just have like a conversation about it so much fucking fun they were so great so welcoming and you know me i'm a libra i adapt to my surroundings i wherever i go we're gonna have a great fucking time and you know my personality is gonna shine through like i'm sorry i'm so sorry that i'm just so fucking perfect just kidding i'm not i'm not i just pretend to be and while pretending you accomplish i don't know that was, i was like we should put that in a shirt while pretending you accomplish It kind of just reminds me, like, you got to believe that you're the hottest fucking bitch in the room until you actually, like, you program your brain into thinking and being delusional and thinking you're the hottest bitch in the room. That's how I do it. I am so delusional sometimes, and I'm just like, yeah, like, I'm so hot and I'm better than everyone. No, not better. Not better because that sounds mean. It's just like, I know what I bring to the table. (laughs) And it was like after we finished. Oh, well, first of all, go check it out. If you haven't already, it's on YouTube. So it, it was like recorded. We recorded live. Fucked up, fam. I couldn't curse <laughs> because I, I didn't want YouTube to like, you know, not give them. What is it called? Ads, ad revenue. If there was like cursing. So I was like, fuck, that was going to be hard because if you know something about me, I can curse. A girly can fucking curse curse like a motherfucking sailor yes i can but it happened i didn't curse so proud of myself it was a great discussion um and it was just a lovely time and then afterwards like we finished i stayed on the call they thanked me they like i it was really rewarding because they're like oh we love having a podcast as a guest like a podcaster as a guest because 
your energy just came through you like like you know like you just kept up with the conversation you gave us your like unfiltered thoughts and i'm like yeah dude like it's so easy to do that when it's just such a welcoming environment so they did like mention that they will be reaching out for me to guest host in their next season so looking forward to that hopefully it does happen because i had an amazing fucking time and then so that was wednesday oh my god yeah wednesday was just so exhausting wednesday of last week so i'm recording this september 4th um wednesday of last week so i had a training for work in the morning um 110 people joined my training and it was just me so i talked for almost like 50 minutes there and then i got here from work and then at 4 30 i talked for like not like consistently but from 4 30 to like 5 30 no like 6 almost 6 15 i was part of a conversation so again a lot of talking and then y'all know i dropped new episodes on thursday so i had to finish the one that i was gonna drop the next day fucked up fam i was so fucking exhausted after wednesday I literally finished recording my episode. I turned out like I shut my computer and then I started laughing and then I started crying. And then I just kept saying, I'm so fucking exhausted. Mental illness in it. That's mental illness, right? Um, but no, but it was just that day. I think it was just like my throat hurt from all the talking, like whatever. But again, really rewarding. Uh, Thursday, I went out. Uh, not me giving you a rundown of my week. It was a very social week. Holy fucking shit. So social. And that's not usually me. I am an extroverted introvert. So, like, I like hanging out. I love seeing my friends. But sometimes I just need to, like, hibernate. Like, I just need to isolate my pretty little butt and just vibe with myself because I need to, like, refuel or charge up my energy i don't know but thursday uh we um me myself and i just kidding <laughs> Alyssa, aka yaya aka don chamango uh, and i invited our friend linda uh i don't think i've ever mentioned linda before but she's my friend from back home she we played basketball together she was two years older than me um and she just was like our mom growing up she was always like getting us in trouble, blah, blah, blah. But I adore her. And we took her out to dinner for her birthday. She brought her daughter. She's like my first friend that made me like an, a quote unquote aunt, like a tia. Um, because, you know, it's like my first friend to ever have kids. It was so great. We just caught up. We just talked. We ate yummy food. It was amazing. And then uh, that was Thursday, Friday. My homie Mario, who writes uh, musicals, I, I've mentioned him before. It was his like birthday thing at the beach. And yes, did I go to the beach two weeks in a row? Yes, I did. I am so proud of myself. I think I might be changing my thoughts, my like negative thoughts towards the beach. Is it still a hassle? Yes. Um, it's sad really hard to like take off once you're at the beach yes that sucks um but it was fun like we played volleyball we just vibe and oh my god i think the best part of my night <laughs> not me being a fucking fat ass so afterwards i've been seeing like a bunch of tiktoks of like this uh uh viral like whatever order at in and out so it's the uh onion like the grilled onion wrapped flying dutchman holy fucking shit fucked up fam oh my god literally nuts so good so fucking delicious fuck bread fuck bread when you can have a grilled onion wrapped flying dutchman so good oh my god like, I don't know if it was because I was under the influence and the food just hit. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was just a good burger. Like, the meat was was fire. I was like, oh, my God, I feel like such a skinny queen. Uh, but actually, no, because I, I ordered a strawberry shake and a fucking animal style fries. So, skinny queen, where? Where? But it was so fire. And then Saturday, I went. So, my friend Mabel... 
I'm telling you, such a social week. Uh, she invited us over to her house because she's um, workshopping a play of hers. She's writing a horror play. Y'all know how much I fucking love the horror genre in plays. Like, seeing the horror genre, like, brought to life on stage is, like, so different than, like, a horror movie or whatever. Because the director has to get fucking creative, right? Like, with the content. Um, so she's she had, like, 40-something pages. We just went over. We read for her. She heard it out loud. We gave her notes. I am so fucking excited to what direction she goes with it. Like, because she was barely, like, sprinkling in some, like, horror things into it. I, I am so excited. I live for this. I live for the uh, story creation aspect of playwriting, of like also the community aspect of coming together and just chatting about what you're writing and seeing other people's perspectives. Because when you're a writer, you kind of focus on one thing. That's like your end goal. And then you kind of forget because you're like so like in the line. I don't know how to describe it. You're just, um, what is it when, when you can't see your peripherals? Just like you're looking into a fucking, not a hallway, like a, like tunnel vision. That's it. Uh, wow, my mind. <laughs> the way my mind works. So your tunnel vision. And sometimes you need that outside perspective. And you're and, and it's going to like turn on a fucking light bulb. So it was great. And then my sister came up to San Diego with Sasha, her best friend, who's also like my sister. And they were here to go to, like, her, her one of their friends uh, was turning. It was their birthday, so they wanted to go out. We went out. It was fun. It was lit. We laughed a lot. We ended up at the beach again. Holy fucking shit. Because we went to a bar right in front of the beach. Um, and then while we waited for, like, her friend got kind of drunk. So we just went to the beach and just, like, stood there and, like, enjoyed the vibes. Wow, look at me. Look at me. Who is she? I don't know her. I don't fucking know her. And then Sunday, my brother went back to my hometown. My hometown is two hours away from him, from here, uh, so from San Diego. And uh, his birthday was during the week on Tuesday. So my mom was like, what if we meet halfway through? So that means they drive 50 minutes and we drive 50, like an hour to get there. And I'm like, bet. So we went to the Hakumba Hot Springs Hotel, which my mom currently works at. She did not work that day. And we just had brunch. It was the food the fucking food fucked up fam so delicious i got eggs benny they were really good Mwah, chef's kiss uh and they like gave us like free stuff too because i feel like my you know my mom works there and they gave us like on the house like french toast holy fucking shit with homemade strawberry jam that my mom made <laughs> like the day before when she was working the, all the food was delicious and my mom showed us around like it was really nice just seeing like my family all together and like it was just a really pleasant experience sometimes you just need to hang out with your family and yeah like I'm honestly so lucky for the family that I do have do we have issues yes are we perfect no but we love each other and that's all that matters and like when we get to spend time together like my parents and my siblings it's just really fun we laugh we joke um just like spending time with your family or like with my family is very important to me. Um, and since we're all grown up, we're not always home at the same time. So when we are home at the same time or we get to be together all at the same time, it's just a lovely, a lovely fucking experience. Oh, and lastly, today I went to eat fa at Faka Dao. That's it. It was delicious. Oh so fucking good i if you want to get to my heart like if you want me to love you invite me to go eat pho thank you no pop culture updates right now uh podcast updates just you know remember to follow the podcast on social media give the podcast a five-star review wherever you listen at house of visibility i would really appreciate it and i'll give you a kiss in the mouth right betchos uh, I'm part of Pods Network now. Like I mentioned, if you want to go check out the other podcasts in the network, you can go to Pods, P-O-D-Z, network.com. And if you have any thoughts about this episode, about anything I said, about like, you just want to give me your thoughts or you just want to talk to me, like go leave me a little voice message, a little voice memo. I'll leave the link 
on the description of this episode. Thank you very much. And really quickly, recommendation corner. So yesterday after I got back from Hakumba, I just watched movies and <laughs> ate some more throughout the day. The movies that I watched yesterday. So I first, I first, I first watched To Catch a K- Killer. Um, I believe was it on Hulu? Yes, I think it was on Hulu. Shailene Woodley comes out. If you're a true crime junkie like I am, go give it a watch. Basically, like a man is tormenting the city. Like just like it on New Year's Eve, he kind of like props himself up in like a uh, like a high rise building and just starts shooting into like different like houses while they're celebrating New Year's. Right as the uh, fireworks go out to like. So no one can like know that, you know, he's shooting at people. And obviously he's like really well trained because he didn't miss any victims. He like killed 29 people that day, that day alone. So the chaos, like I believe this is in New York City. Okay, but it just like goes from there and there's more attacks, more people die until like, you know, something happens, you know. But yeah, it was a really good watch. It's a long movie. It's, I believe it's almost like around two hours. And then, so I had been wanting to watch this movie since I was like a teenager, but I think like my parents never <laughs> let me watch it. Um, and it's Love and Other Drugs. So I finally, as almost a 28 year old, I got around to watching this fucking movie. Miss Anne Hathaway in Love and Other Drugs. Can we talk about how beautiful and sexy this woman is? Holy fucking shit. So fucking hot. The movie was really good. The movie was really good. I mean, if you haven't watched it at this point, <laughs> what are you doing? You're the same as me. I. It was a good watch. Kind of like a feel-good movie. Well, the end is a feel-good movie. Um, basically... And Hathaway's character has early onset Parkinson's. Um, and, you know, she starts, like, hooking up with this guy who's, like, a pharmaceutical rep for, like, Pfizer. <laughs> Pfizer. Um, and, you know, it gets complicated because she does it. She wants to keep a cash. But she's so hot and funny and pretty that, you know, it's hard to keep a cash. Well, like, it always happens to me. Like, I'm so hot and funny and pretty. No one wants to keep it just cash. I mean, everyone's always proposing. Everyone always wants to make me their wife. Um, you know, everyone always wants to put a child inside of me. Just kidding. That never happens to me. <laughs> that, that literally, like literally, that's always the opposite of what happens to me. But my time is coming. Don't worry. Don't worry. I mean, I don't want to be anyone's wife and I don't want anyone's children inside of me. But what I do want is money yeah? <laughs> and love. I guess love is fine. But money plus love? Oh. Now that's something to look forward to. Okay, I said this was going to be a short intro and we're at almost 18 minutes. So let's get started with today's episode. Okay, the first thing that I would like to say is how much I enjoyed covering this show for season 10 of that show, Fuck Me Up. Like at first, I really struggled with choosing like a show because it's an important season. 10 seasons that I've, you know, shown up, put in the work, put out content. And I always mention like, yes, having a podcast is really rewarding, but it's also a lot of fucking work. It is, it is. But I knew season 10 had to be like a really good show. And at first I was like, I chose Sharp Objects and I, you know, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna change my mind. I'll just go with it. And at first I wasn't too convinced. You know, I was like, fuck, maybe I chose the wrong uh, show for season 10. I, I, I should have chosen something else. But honestly, fucked up fam, this show destroyed me. Like, <laughs> talk about a TV show that fucked me up. And I remember it being really good the first time that I watched it. Like, I was ingrained, like, the storyline amazing the plot amazing the twists and turns amazing I, I literally don't have any other words other than amazing my vocabulary limited limited fucked up fam after two years of podcasting my vocabulary should be stronger but it is not what can i say i'm a simple simple gal with simple simple knowledge as you can tell 
really enjoyed sharp objects. Like, again, it was it was literally, literally a journey. It really was. Um, and something that I'll mention right now that I didn't catch there during my first watch. So when I first watched the show, I did not stick around for the post credit scene, which basically shows us that Emma was the killer the whole time. So for me, when at the end of like, like the end of the show for me, when I watched it the first time was Emma saying, don't tell mama. And I took that as it being like, don't tell mama that I kept the teeth or something like that. For me, it was more like, oh, you know, Adora is still the killer or and maybe like Emma helped or Adora was the one that put those teeth inside of Emma's stallhouse as kind of a little souvenir for herself and then Emma knew and then like you know like it didn't click in my brain that Emma was the sole killer. We're well, not sole because she enlisted her friends to help, but it just didn't add up for me. So I always thought it was Adora. And then like that, you know, Alan helped her pull the teeth because Adora is so delicate. She's so not strong. So how would she be able to pull the teeth of the mouth of these little girls, right? Like it just, some things didn't click Again, I, I still don't know how Emma did it. Like, damn, bitch, you got all that anger. You got all that anger. You know how they say, like, when, like, let's say a mother becomes, like, gets, like, superhuman strength if they need to, like, save their children. Like, this bitch Emma got superhuman strength to fucking remove the teeth off the bodies, of the dead bodies of what used to be her friends. Like, that's insanity to me. So there are things that just doesn't add up. And that's why I want to read the book just to like make sure that everything is clear inside my head because I will be thinking about the show for the rest of my fucking life. Um, but yeah, so I found this article that is that's called All the Hints That Emma Was a Killer. And it basically points out a hint per episode. So the uh, hint on the first episode was a quote from Emma when she like, She's like, I'm incorrigible too. I knew we would be. So she tells that to Camille, kind of like saying like, oh, you're incorrigible. I'm incorrigible. And the, dic the dictionary definition of incorrigible is incapable of being corrected or amended, depraved or delinquent. So she was basically letting Camille know like, bitch, I'm a bad fucking person, <laughs> you know? Um, so little hint, not like a huge hint, but a little hint. On episode two, when Natalie's body, I believe, I believe it was fun on episode one, but in episode two, they're like, go, go more into detail. Like it doesn't add up. And Nash, uh, and Nash's body was dumped by the Creek. Um, and Natalie Keene's body was propped up like a doll, like a doll who is obsessed with dolls, who is obsessed with her little tiny doll house. Well, not tiny. It's huge. It's, it's a rich girl. Huge. Also, something that stood up to me on the last episode, so basically at the very end, Camille looking at Emma's dollhouse when she finds a little bed, like mattress covering in the trash, and she goes and puts it back in the dollhouse. And she sees one of the dolls propped up very similar to how Natalie Keene's body was found. So that was like another sign. But that was like at the very end, so who cares about that sign? And then in episode three, Emma says this, they would do anything for me. I just ask. And when she's talking about her friends, what is anything, girly? What do you mean they would do anything for you? To like, how far would a friend go for you, you know? And then there's another quote that she says, and she's like, you hate this place like me, but you love dead girls. And it kind of implies like, yes, they both hate Wind Gap, and they both love or obsessed with dead girls. 
then in episode four so it's after um you know in episode three at the end it's when uh, camille and willis are hanging out and then amma shows up with her friends all drunk and they're being fucking cunts and amma's being such a fucking asshole so that's episode the end of episode three and then episode four she's like she tells her sister that just walks by her room and she's like i'm sorry please forgive me sometimes when i show off in front of my friends i get carried away carried away enough to kill two girls like that's showing off for you that's fucking insane and then and then there's a line that uh when willis and um detective Vic, you know chief vickery are talking about like the teeth pulling i believe um i think willis says that the pulling of the teeth is power for someone that feels powerless and at first I was thinking about Alan, right? Because Alan in the relationship with Adora cuckold. My ma- my man is a cock, not a cock, a cook, a cook guy, <laughs> not a cook. How do you pronounce that? Cook, a cook, right? That's how you pronounce it. Okay, whatever. So, and I feel like he's very powerless in the like relationship dynamic that he has with his wife so i was thinking that he was doing the teeth pulling as a way to feel some sort of power right but no it's actually emma she feels powerless you know just a teen girl in wind gap would feel powerless right (laughs) um it's a very um machismo society you know like menemism (laughs) not feminism the opposite um and it's just like obviously she feels powerless at home because her mom is slowly poisoning her or has been poisoning her her whole life and she just like accepts it so i feel like she also feels powerless then episode five which was the kahunde episode like emma running away during her like her bad trip after she witnesses bob nash and john keen fighting so the article was like gave us two options was that just emma having a guilty conscience like she like realized during her bad trip like oh my god i caused all of this pain and suffering to both of these families or which i lean more towards was she upset that someone else had the attention during her performance I'm thinking B. I'm thinking the latter, not the former. Like, this bitch loves attention. And if attention is taken away from her, that's, no, absolutely not. Give it back. And then six, uh, so she's talking about her friends. She's like, with girls, I can get them to do what I want, but they don't like me. Sometimes you need to be mean or hurt. So she says that one line. Um, so basically very self-explanatory. I can get them to do what I want, but they don't like me. And sometimes you need to be mean or hurt them so they could do what you want them to do. And then later on, uh, during that episode, after like they're, you know, they go to that house party and they come back and they sneak back in and Emma goes into Camille's room to just like wait out like the trip. And she like, like, like whispers, do you ever feel like bad things are going to happen to you and you can't stop them, can't do anything, you just have to wait? So I think like Emma is very aware of like, you know, one day she's going to get found out and she's just like waiting for it to happen. And it's also the episode where Anne Nash's bike is found. And earlier in the season, we see that Emma basically has free range of Creeker Farm. She could go in there. She could go, like, just vibe with the pigs. So who has access to Creeker Farms? My girly pop, Emma. No, she's not my girly pop. I hate that bitch. I hate that cunt. Is she a child? Yes. Do I hate her? Yes. In the episode seven, um, so that's when, you know, like, fucking Adora's, like, Munchausen mommy, like, tendencies, like, kick in because uh, Alma is hung over after, like, a night of, like, hard drinking and drugs, and her mom's, like, trying to take care of her, and Alma's, like, no, like, mama, like, I just need to lay down and maybe eat a grilled cheese, and her mom feels, like, offended because she feels so rejected by her daughter, and she's, like, oh, well, you could do that yourself, and you should start doing your own laundry, and actually, I'm gonna take away your dollhouse because you're an adult now, like, you're a big girl, you don't need to play with dollhouses anyway, like, you know, and Emma was like, she's like, absolutely not. Don't take my dollhouse away. And that's when she's just like gives up and like gets back in the bed and she lets her mom like poison her. 
And like the article was like, oh, maybe she just agreed to that because she doesn't want her mom to take away the dollhouse, which has the teeth, which would give away that she is the killer, the sharp objects killer. And then, well, episode seven, the post credit scene tells us everything, but also the don't tell mama. Don't tell mama. It's so crazy that even be, even after her mother is behind bars, like Camille, I mean, Emma is still like afraid of her, like a, like a mother, like what's the word that I'm looking for? Like a parental? No, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but she's still like, oh, don't tell mama. Even though I feel like Adora would be fine for taking the blame for her daughter's like murder, like murdering other children, because at the end of the day, what does a man, what does a Munchausen mommy want? She wants the attention. She wants to feel like she's taking care of her child. So in a way, that would be Adora taking care of Emma, right or wrong, right or wrong. And also that post credit scene, holy fucking shit. It was brutal. And it's just like really quick shots, no dialogue, just really, really like, like snapping shots. Uh, I was going to say pulsing. I've been work like a pulse. <laughs> I've been working in PowerPoint way too much lately and <laughs> doing like, transitions and shit like that i don't know animations that's what i was going for but yeah that was the article um so moving on i so there are two different storylines in the show that i want to focus on for today's episode the munchausen by proxy uh storyline and then teenagers killing their friends because of jealousy so i kind of want to go over so i looked up uh, munchausen by proxy and this is what web md said so Munchausen syndrome by proxy or it's MSP or Munchausen by proxy is a psychological disorder marked by attention seeking behavior by a caregiver through those who are in their care. Munchausen by proxy is a relatively rare behavioral disorder. It affects a primary caretaker, often the mother and the person with MSP gains attention by seeking medical help for exaggerated or made up symptoms of a child in their care. As healthcare providers strive to identify what's causing the child's symptoms, uh, the deliberate actions of the parent or caretaker can often make the symptoms worse. So the person with MSP does not seem to be motivated by a desire for any type of material gain. While healthcare providers are often unable to identify the specific cause of a child's illness, they may not suspect the parent or caretaker of doing anything to harm the child. In fact, the caregiver often appears to be very loving and caring and extremely distraught over their child's illness. People with MSP or Munchausen by proxy may create or exaggerate a child's symptoms in several ways. They may simply lie about the symptoms, alter tests such as contaminating a urine sample, falsifying medical records, or they may actually induce symptoms through various means such as poisoning, suffocating, starving, and causing infection. So I wanted to talk about some real life cases. We all know like the like the very famous one, like the Gypsy Rose case where she and her boyfriend kill her mother. So I'm not going to focus on that. There's a lot. There's documentaries. There's like TV shows. There's a lot of content out there. We all know what happened. You know, one day Gypsy Rose had enough. She knew that she was able to walk. She knew that her mother was deliberately making her sick. So she and her boyfriend murdered her mother, and she's in jail, right? So I wanted to um, talk about a less known case. So it's actually the Julie Gregory case, and she survived her mother's abuse and lived to write a book about it. So she's, uh, uh, I put Arthur, (laughs) she's the author of Sickened, a memoir. And her first memory of her mother doing something malicious is uh, her, she was right. I believe she was like around three or four years old. And her mom asked if she wanted suckers, which I'm assuming it's a lollipop or candy. So she said yes. And she like starts like sucking on it. And she felt like a sulfur taste in her mouth. And then her mom is like, oh, you want more? You want to finish the pack? And her mom was actually giving her matches so that her so that her daughter could suck on the like the red like match thingy 
And then, like, her mom just, like, started researching different medical conditions. And by the time she was 12, her mom was pursuing open-heart surgery for Julie. So she mentioned, so and I watched the video, and I'll link it in the description, as I always do. So she mentions that she grew up really isolated, and her father was schizophrenic, so he was dealing with his own mental illness. And as a child, she did not know that she was being made ill. So her mother would take her to the doctor and uh, she would tell her like, oh, uh, you're sick. You're not going to school today. today." And then her mother would just like browse through the phone book and try to set up appointments with like local doctors that could see her. And so they would go do like, you know, go to the appointment, talk to the doctor. And if her mom did not like the diagnosis that the doctor would give, she would take it out on Julie because like Julie explained, like she's like, oh, I was not acting sick enough. So her mom would physically hurt her. And Julie explains that once, you know, like that Munchausen by proxy dynamic, you just start pretending that you are seriously hurt or sick to avoid being hurt by your caretaker. Uh, so it basically, um, it becomes kind of normalized, like going through the process. She, and she also mentioned that she could sense her mother's emotions completely change if they had a quote unquote successful doctor's visit. So it went her mother's way and her mother would be airy and happy and just like vibrating at a higher altitude, and which we saw in Adora, right? We saw in Sharp Objects when Camille finally lets her mom take care of her. She finally gives her that in. Her mom is so sweet to her. Adora is like caring for her, making like playing with her, like making sweet jokes and stuff. Kind of like what you would do to a child, even though Camille is a grown ass woman. But it's just like her way of like, oh, like, let me take care of you. You'll be fine once I take care of you. So Julie's mother would so she would also starve her before going to the doctor so that when she would like go from a sitting position to a standing up position, her heart rate would go up. And so that would justify like her mother's theory that she had heart issues. And again, whenever she would uh, she would get a doctor. Uh, so when uh, Julie's mom would get a doctor telling her that there was nothing wrong with Julie, she would cut ties with that doctor and look for a new one until she found she found one that she could manipulate. And then she finally got a doctor to do some uh, explorative procedure on, on, on Julie. And Julie mentions how she's like, so I was in the hospital for like a week. And the beautiful thing about it is that my mom wasn't around the whole week because she was visiting other patients or hanging out with the nurses at the nurse station. And again, similar to Adora, I think, um, I don't know who mentioned it. I don't know if it was Jackie or like the other nurse that brought up like the fact that she thinks that Adora is a Munchausen by proxy mommy. It's like, yeah, she would bring baked goods to the nurses and she like she was loved by everyone and everyone would feel sorry for her. Like this lovely, beautiful woman having such a sick child, poor her, like, you know, she was getting all that affection from like the people working, like the staff at the hospital and very similar to Julie's mom. And when the interviewer asked her about her dad, she's like, oh, like my dad had his own mental illness. So he was just like checked out like he didn't give a fuck. And then uh, so one of the times so when she was there, like she didn't know that she was going to have surgery. So when the do doctors came to prep her for surgery, obviously she was terrified. And she told them, like, you don't have to do this because my mom is making it all up. And at the time, she didn't really believe what she was saying. It was more of a way to protect herself from, like, going through surgery. However, the staff at the hospital did not believe her, and they went through with the surgery anyway. And after the surgery, the results showed that everything, yes, you heard that right, everything was normal with Julie and her mother, who's on first name basis with everyone at the hospital, instead of being happy that her daughter does not have to get open heart surgery, she said, John, you promised that you were going to get to the bottom of it. We were in this together. I want that open heart surgery for her. Oh my fucking God. And the doctor just like sternly told her like, no, that's not going to happen. Stop pursuing it. When she was 10 or uh, like around 10 or 11, her mother started doing this to her little brother. Uh, but that is when her dad, her schizophrenic dad, finally objected. And she mentioned, which it was really sad. She's like, in my family, men were important and women weren't. So she's like, yeah, my dad saved my brother, but he didn't give a fuck about me. 
Um, and then to compensate for, like her mother to compensate for not being able to make her son sick, Julie's mother got a license to foster children and take care of sick veterans, but she would only take in the veterans that were diabetic and needed insulin, and she over-insulated them. So she basically kept them in a separate room. I think she built like a, like a separate room outside her trailer where she kept the diabetic veterans just like in like um, those like lean back like chairs or like couches, what are they called? Whatever they're called. Uh, with like they were just there kind of like in a state of disassociation because they were over insulated when asked how she got out of it she mentions that when she was 16 she finally got someone to believe her about what was happening to the foster children and the war veterans and then everyone like came and like they they proved it and they were taken away and julie was taken into protective custody because her mother made death threats against her for snitching the craziest thing fucked up fam Julie was obviously too scared to testify against her parents. So you know what she did? You know what the system did? When she was 17, they sent her back home. (laughs) I am laughing because if I don't laugh, I'll burst out crying. That is so fucking insane to me. So they sent her back home. And then afterwards, her parents burned down the house and got the insurance settlement. And after their house or like trailer burned down, Julie and her brother lived in the camper nearby and just kept living their life because they didn't want to tell anyone uh, that, you know, her mom had left or like escaped to Mexico and her dad was just living in a garage by himself, kind of going off the deep end. Um, So they just like continued their life. And then she wrote a memoir about her experience. So uh, like I said, it's called Sickened, a memoir, if you want to check out more information or read her book. So now let's move on to the cases of teenagers killing other teenagers in cold blood. So we will uh, talk about the Skylar Niece case. So on July 6, 2012, Skylar Niece snuck out of her bedroom to, ta- to hang out with her best friend, Shelia Eddie, and Rachel Shove, and she never returned home. There was no sign about what happened to her in the six months after she went missing. But the real truth was that Shelia and Rachel drove her to a near town and then stabbed her to death. Very sad, very tragic, very fucking horrible. So Shelia was friends with Skylar since they were eight years old. And then they became friends with Rachel during their freshman year of high school. They were the bestest of friends. They were described as an inseparable trio. And Skylar was kind of like the emotional rock for both Sheila and Rachel, who both had divorced parents. And Skylar's parents were great. Like, they really nurtured Skylar and encouraged her to be her own person. And she was like their only child. So they adored her and they just wanted her to be a happy, go like a happy kid. Skylar's mother mentions that Skylar thought that she could be kind of like a savior to her friends. And um, she also tells them, like, the relationship with Shelia was really strong because, again, they were friends since they were eight years old. Like, Shelia would just come to their house, not even knock. Like, she would go straight in. Like, the nieces, like, welcome Shelia into their family, you know? So that's why it is so fucking crazy what they did to their quote-unquote friend. Rachel, the newest friend, the one that they made when they were freshmen, was also very well-liked. Um... And she idolized Shelia because uh, Rachel came from a very strict and Catholic upbringing. So she kind of like looked up to Shelia for her wild and carefree attitude because she wished she could be more like that. So before the murder, there were signs in social media that there was a strain between the trio. When Skylar started tweeting things like, you're a two-faced bitch and obviously fucking stupid if you thought I would find out. Uh, and another tweet said, too bad my friends are having lives without me. And it appeared kind of like that Shelia and Rachel were icing Skylar out. So on the night of the murder, there is a grainy security footage showing Skylar getting into a sedan in the middle of the night. And the following morning, she was not home. She did not make it to work. And of course, this raised red flags with her parents who reported their daughter missing right away. Later that day, Shelia called the nieces and told them how herself, Skylar, and Rachel had snuck out the night before and they had driven to a nearby city to just like 
smoke weed, but that she and Rachel had dropped Skylar back home at around like midnight. So it was not the middle of the night uh, when she left. I think she said that it was around 11 p.m. when they picked her up and like at 1230, they dropped her back home. Uh, but that they didn't drop her right in front of the house because Skylar did not want her parents to wake up. So that they, so that's why the, the camera didn't catch uh, when Skylar went back home or whatever. So at first, they believed that story. However, there were rumors about what happened to Skylar. And one of them was that she went to a house party and then overdosed on heroin. And that the party goers panicked and just got rid of the body. So that was one of the rumors, right? But one of the officers on the case noticed that obviously something was not wrong with the friends. Like their attitudes were not so, like the attitudes or like the emotions of someone who just like kind of had a friend that went missing. And she described Shelia. She's like, something's wrong with Shelia and how Rachel seemed like she was scared to death. And Rachel was the one that eventually broke. So her parents called 911 and said, and I believe her mom said, I have an issue with a 16-year-old daughter of mine. I can't control her anymore. She's hitting us. She's screaming. She's running through the neighborhood. And Rachel could be heard crying uncontrollably, uh, saying how it was all over. And she's like, give me the phone, blah, blah, blah. And like uh, she, the mom was just like, please get here soon. Like my, my husband is trying to like control her, blah, blah, blah. So whatever, Rachel's confessed soon. And after that, she, uh, so she confessed soon after that, and uh, that she and Shelia had stabbed Skylar to death and how she and Shelia had planned the murder one month in advance while they were in science class. In science class, fucked up Femi. And then you're like, you know what we should do? We should kill our best friend. Well, not their best friend anymore, obviously. Like, something happened. But we should kill her. So the night of the murder, they picked her up, drove her somewhere, and stabbed her to death. And as she was dying, Skylar could only ask why. And the police asked Rachel that same question. And do you know what her response was? We didn't like her. Bitch, then stop being friends with her so insane like these two teen girls threw their whole future away because they didn't like their friend anymore like that's insanity to me and you know finally justice was served for Skylar niece when Shelia was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole after 15 years and Rachel was sentenced to 30 years in jail However, in a TikTok video that I looked up, it explained how Rachel was going to be eligible for parole recently. And she revealed during her parole hearing, she revealed that the true motive for killing uh, Skylar was that Shelia and herself were romantically involved and that Skylar knew and that is why they killed her. But thank God her parole got denied. Uh, but she's scheduled to come out of jail in 2028. You thought the Skylar Nieces case was bad? Uh, this next one, Shanda Scherer, uh case is... Uh, I should have given a trigger warning to BH at the beginning of this episode. I'm so fucking sorry. But let's go over the Shanda Scherer case. That's also a teenagers brutally killing another teenager. Um, again, real life. What we saw in the show was not real, but still tragic. But let me just tell you the, the story. So Shonda, 12, met her classmate Amanda Heverin, 13, at Hazelwood uh, in 1991. So I believe Hazelwood is in Indiana. Soon after moving to Indi Indiana with her mother, uh, so so that's when she met Amanda. And her um, Shonda and Amanda became fast friends, which then transitioned into a romantic relationship. So this was back in 1991. So they attended a school dance together in October of 1991, and there Shonda and Amanda were confronted by 16-year-old Melinda Loveless, who was Amanda, again, 13-year-old Amanda's ex-girlfriend, and was now extremely jealous of Amanda's new relationship. Melinda threatened Shonda publicly and even threatened to kill her, so Shonda's mother did what any mother would do and moved her daughter to a different school. On January 10th, 1992, Merlinda, with the help of three friends, Lori, 17, Hope, 15, and Tony, 15, set out to take revenge on Shonda. Again, 12 years old. 
the four girls drove to Shonda's father's house uh, where Shonda was staying. And the girls used the excuse that they were going to take Shonda to go see Amanda to lure her out of the house. And Shonda just told the girls to return when her parents were asleep, which they did. But I don't think that Shonda knew that Melinda was also in the car. She was in the, in the back seat covered with a blanket. So she was hiding under a blanket holding a knife. When Shonda got in the car, Melinda leapt out and threatened to slit Shonda's throat if she didn't confess to stealing Amanda from her. Shonda was not able to respond. I don't know if she was just like super scared, which I don't blame her. That is fucking terrifying. So Melinda convinced her friends to drive Shonda to a remote locations. And the friends just thought that Melinda was going to teach Shonda a lesson or scare her into breaking things up with Amanda. But they were very, very wrong. For the next seven hours, yes, seven fucking hours, the girls tortured Shonda before ultimately killing her. This poor soul, this poor little girl. They took Shonda's clothes and then hit her repeatedly in the face until Shonda was bleeding profusely. Then they tried to slit her throat, but the knife was too dull. So they proceeded to stab her several times and strangled her with a rope. Once they did that, they thought that she was dead and they put her in the trunk of the car and then they went to one of the girls' houses. I believe they went to Lori's house to clean up and drink sodas. So that should just tell you how old these girls are. They're like, oh, we're going to murder someone or we're going to attempt to murder someone and then we're going to go home and drink soda. But then they realized that Shonda was still alive when she started yelling out for help from the trunk of the car. This time, Lori and Melinda drove off together to continue to torture Shonda. They also, oh my God, I don't even want to say this. They sexually assaulted Shonda with a tire iron. And then they returned to Lori's home laughing as they were told what happened. In the early, early morning hours, the girls stopped at a gas station and bought a two liter soda bottle, which they emptied and filled with gasoline. And then they drove to another remote location where they lit Shonda on fire while she was still alive. Again, tragic. And to confirm that she was dead, Melinda went back with more gasoline and lit her on fire again as she watched as Shonda writh, like, was in agony till she died. Thankfully, God, so thankful, the girls were caught the very next day after some of them bragged about the murder to other friends, and then the friends went to the police station. All four girls were tried as adults, and the younger ones that weren't as involved with the torture received lighter sentences. By lighter sentences, I mean 20. One received 20 years, and the other received 35 years. Um, and they have both been released now, so they didn't even complete their full sentence. So one was released in 2000, and the other was released in 2006. And Melinda and Lori, who were most of the active perpetrators, received a 60-year sentence. And you know what I have to say on this good fucking riddance. I hope both Melinda and Lori, what's the word? I, I, I could say it in Spanish, que se pudran, que se pudran. I don't know what, how to translate that. Um, sorry, that was, like I said, that was a very hard retelling of the Shonda Scherer case. Um, that's fucking horrible all over jealousy like i it's really hard for me to comprehend when these horrible acts are committed because i <laughs> because i personally would never ever ever hurt someone in this way right over jealousy over a relationship over a teenage relationship it's again so hard for me to comprehend but i wanted to talk about these two stories again well three if we count the munchausen by proxy i wanted to cover some stories that are not like very well known all right fucked up fam to finish up this episode and this season the amazing the beautiful the talented season 10 she's iconic um and we will stand her forever and ever i kind of just wanted to go over some of like the lingering or unanswered questions from sharp objects okay first one who who <laughs> who was camille's dad 
because obviously Miss Adora does not have any love for that man the same way that she does not have any love for her daughter unless unless she is needing her so i'm like thinking like who is it do you, okay here's just like a little speculation is it chief vickery dude that would be fucking crazy because like adora and him have like this very flirtatious like sexy vibe going on and like you know maybe adora couldn't marry him because he's not from money and like he's only the chief of police of the town you know so that's a big possibility but i don't know or is it just someone that like got her pregnant and ran away um i don't know i have no clue who that man is i do not know who that man is because in that episode where um in the calhoun day episode when adora takes her camille to go like look for a dress and like the lady that opened up the store for them she's like she has her father's coloring and his cheekbones and his temperament so like was he an angry man the world may never know another question that i have is let's see where is it so why did amma kill those girls and i might have already kind of like briefly touched upon it but plain and simple jealousy we saw it in with her mom like jealousy of her mother adora genuinely cared for natalie keen and ann nash the reason that she cared might not be like super heartwarming but it was just her monchows and mommy coming out she's like seeing these girls that are out and about no one gives a fuck about them except themselves so like because they were besties and Emma tells us she likes the attention that Adora gives her when she's quote-unquote sick. So she does not like when her, the attention is taken away from her. The same way that she killed her little friend when she moved in with uh, Camille, she was jealous because she wanted to, like, like, when they're having dinner at Frank and Eileen's house and, like, the friend is there and she's like, oh like i like your articles like i want to be a journalist when i grow up and i was like kiss ass so we can see there that the attitude towards her friends starts to change a lot so i think she was just jealous of like not being the center of attention and having someone else or like camille liking someone else more than her because she even asked her ask her on in the last episode she's like would you like me better if I was if I wanted to be a journalist? And Camille's like, where the fuck is this coming from? Like, no, like you're my sister and I love you. So yeah. Question: Did Adora know about Emma? Fuck, that's a hard one. That is. I don't know. I literally have no clue because she pleaded not guilty. So obviously, if she really wanted to take the fall for her daughter's murders, she would plead guilty. Um, I don't know. The thing is that, and I think what saved Camille is that she's half Adora and half someone else, this like stranger, this unspoken stranger that we know nothing about. But with Emma, she's half Adora and half Alan. And I don't know, from what we can see about Alan, he cares about his daughter. He cared about Marion. And every now and then he cares about Camille, but he, he would die for Adora. If Adora tells him to jump off a building, he's going to be like, okay, dear, and then jump, you know? But he also has a dark side because in that episode where he, like, goes up to Adora and he's like, I lost a daughter too. And then he's like, maybe I should spend the night with you. And she's like, uh, maybe not. 
<laughs> and then like he still goes to her room even though she said like she didn't want to but it was like his way of like being in control so he's like i'm gonna have sex and i'm gonna take it i don't give a fuck if you're tired so that was a little bit scary that was a little bit unethical not a little bit a lot so i don't know i don't think so i don't think adora knew about emma at first when she got convicted maybe maybe like it started to add up because she genuinely i think she really loved those girls and i was talking to my mom recently about a bad person most bad people don't know they're bad and that was like super eye-opening to me i just thought people were just bad and they were okay with it so like Adora committing these horrible things, she doesn't think they're horrible. So I don't know if it's like the same for Emma. <sighs> I don't, I don't know. So, okay, so I'm getting some of these questions from an article, a Mashable article, um, Sharp Objects Ending Explained. Uh, and then, so question 10 is what happens to Emma and Adora? And so this is like getting information directly from the book. And it says, while Emma's friends get lighter sentences for coming forward with their testimonies, Emma's found guilty of first degree murder, as she should. And it's said she will remain locked up until her 18th birthday and likely longer. So Adora's like, what, 14 there? Adora is found guilty of mur murdering Marianne and also locked up, though there's mention of a potential appeal. And she had online supporters in the form of freeadora.org free website. And then Alan says, sells the house for a place closer to the prison <laughs> and writes to his still beloved wife on the days he can't visit her in person. Bro, okay, one thing about Alan, he's a writer fucking die. Is he a cuckold? Absolutely. Is he a ride or die? He sold the family home to buy a, a like a home close to the prison to go see his beloved. I don't want anything more. That's the only thing I'm asking for in the man. Literally, the bare minimum. The bare fucking minimum. Even though, so the question, what happened to Camille broke my heart. But it's like, it, it, it makes sense. So it's like, what happens to Camille? And it's like the book ends on a much more depressing note for Camille. Oh, I can't. She deserves so much better. So she's like, they're like, she never hears from Willis ever again. And the truth about Emma all but destroys her. And she starts cutting again on the few spots she still has left on her body. Why am I so emotional? I'm so fucking upset. But then this, and it's like her editor, Frank Curry, and his wife, Eileen, take her as their own, keeping all sharp objects away from her. And they take care of her in the kind of purely nurturing and loving way Adora could never but she never fully recovers, left to constantly worry that she carries a disease shared by Adora and Emma. Uh, again, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I am never, never, ever, ever, ever going to recover from this. Thank you very much. All right, Fluctofam, before we officially close, I want to reveal the show that I will be covering for season 11 of that show, Fuck Me Up. And that is, drumroll please, Skins UK, first fucking generation. Okay, this, this whole show raised me throughout my teenage years. I am the way I am because of this show and the characters in this show. Does that make me fucked up? Absolutely. Absolutely, mate. I don't know why I'm talking in that accent. Um, blimely, ain't it? Um, <laughs> uh, we're gonna have so much fucking fun. So I'm covering the first generation. So I think I'm just gonna do season one and two, like back to back. And who the fuck is gonna stop me, right? Right. Uh, so I'm really excited. I can't wait to start talking about all these characters that literally wrecked me, ain't it? Um, and yes, I will be talking in an English accent. I'm sorry. It is what it is. Y'all just got to cope with it. I'm apologizing from the beginning. Trigger warning for my uh, horrible, fucking horrible accent. 
but I'm really excited. So yes, that's what you can expect for season 11. And I hope y'all are as excited as I am. But all right, we've gotten to the end of our episode and the end of our season. Um, you already know the drill. Follow the podcast on social media on Instagram, where that show F to me up. F is spelled E F F E D. On Twitter, where that show fuck me up. That is spelled D A T. Uh, fuck is spelled without a U, so it's F C K E D. Give the podcast a five star review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. It helps with visibility, and you know more people should join the fucked up fam. More people should be part of the shared psychosis. It's a trip. It's a fucking trip, but it's a fun one. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Thank you so much for listening and for the support in these last 10 seasons. I wouldn't be here without you. Um, and I appreciate you. I'm so fucking grateful for y'all. And you already know the drill. Remember, be gentle, be kind, and don't be an asshole unless you absolutely have to be. Goodbye. Thank you.